Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton. Really excited to be back with you in the new year. Uh, We are kicking off season 18, where we're continuing our conversation about the new book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest from Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again. But in this season, we're talking specifically about sabbatical and specifically about the idea that sometimes there is a moment when you realize that Sabbath is just not enough. And so the second half of this book is focused on this moment in my own experience and in other people's experience where you realize, man, I've been practicing Sabbath faithfully, but it's just not enough. It's not touching the levels of exhaustion. I remember getting to places in my own Sabbath practice when Monday would come and I just wouldn't feel ready. And I would realize that I had not had a deep enough kind of rest in order to be able to face my life. And it was really a humbling moment to realize that I had been practicing Sabbath so faithfully, but it wasn't quite enough. And so that's where the second half of the book emerges from, from that experience of realizing I I need a little bit more. I need a deeper kind of rest. I need a season of rest versus a day of rest once a week. And so in this season, it's going to be a shorter season, but we are going to dig into the topic of sabbatical when Sabbath is not enough. We have separated these two seasons because I was hoping that you've had some time to actually practice your Sabbath before we get into the sabbatical part. And I do want to ask you right now, reflect on what you've tried. I hope you didn't just listen and gain information and feel inspired, but I hope that in the little break that we've had, you actually tried a Sabbath practice. We suggested trying through Advent. Were you able to find some Sabbath moments in your Advent practice? I hope so, because we want to be careful and not push on too soon before you had a chance to do a little bit of practicing with your Sabbath. Uh, We feel that sabbatical is a natural extension of the Sabbath topic because really all the principles that we learn and practice in our Sabbath keeping then can be expanded and extended and carried over into our sabbatical planning and into our sabbatical experience. And I've had two sabbatical experiences now. They've been some of the most precious experiences of my life. I'm excited about uh, sharing my own experience with you, but I'm also excited about the guests that we have lined up to share their experiences as well, because sabbatical is going to be very, very unique to every person who gets to have one. And It's going to be based on what you need. It's going to be based on your personality type. It's going to be based on your actual work situation and what people can actually provide for you. There'll be a lot of things that make it your own personal experience, but there's a great deal of intention and wisdom that we can bring to our sabbatical planning. I also feel like January is a great time to explore the idea of sabbatical because hopefully in our personal lives and hopefully in our lives together with those that we lead with, uh, this might be a topic that we can take on. What would it look like for us to to begin to establish a sabbatical policy in our life together if we don't already have one. Is it possible for someone who hasn't had a sabbatical and who has been in, in ministry for a long time and hasn't yet had one, could this be the time when you drive a stake in the ground for that person and see if they can um, get a sabbatical and that you can support and help them in it? So we're going to be hearing from a number of pastors and leaders about their experiences with sabbatical. We're going to talk about how to plan for a sabbatical, how to set boundaries around your sabbatical and also what kinds of unique spiritual opportunities are there for us in a sabbatical season. I am thrilled to be back with my friend Rick McCall. Um, He was with us at the beginning of the Sabbath season to talk about his Sabbath practice, but he's a pastor and will also be talking with us and sharing with us about his experiences with sabbatical as well. Um, He's been in various ministry roles throughout his career. After a long season as a youth pastor, 
He's also served as family pastor and spiritual formation pastor, but now has really landed um, in a senior pastor role at Conroe Church, just north of Houston, where he has been serving since 2018. Rick is married. He has two sons, two daughters-in-laws, and two young grandchildren. So I'm looking forward to the conversation that we have together about sabbatical. Rick, it's so good to be back with you again to talk about the topic of sabbatical. And for those who are not yet familiar with the book, let me point out that this book is divided into two parts. One, the first part is on Sabbath, and then the second part is on sabbatical. And the reason for that is because sabbatical is just an extension of our Sabbath practice. And I've actually come to believe that Sabbath practice actually prepares us for the the deeper, further, bigger letting go of sabbatical. And so I think people who have experienced Sabbath and the inner dynamics of Sabbath and the reasons for Sabbath are actually more well prepared to enter into sabbatical because all of the dynamics and practices and purposes and reasons for Sabbath hold for sabbatical, only our sabbatical time is extended. Rick, I'm really glad that we have this opportunity to extend our conversation about Sabbath to now talking about sabbatical. Yeah, so Ruth, the uh, section on sabbatical is it's also extremely applicable and extremely practical, but you know, you you say several things in there that are that will really catch people's attention, especially a a pastor who is thinking, how can I do this? You know, what are, what are some ways? And there are there are books out there, but I have I haven't found a book for me at least that really lays it out as clearly and cleanly as you do. So let me ask you about one of those statements. You say that the gift of sabbatical changed your life, which is a big statement Mm -hmm. because people claim that all the time and there really are very few life-changing things. How did that sabbatical, that gift change your life? Well, for one thing, just to be really frank, I had been in ministry for many years by the time, and it's embarrassing for me to admit this, but we just, here in the Transforming Center, I've been in the Transforming Center for 20 years, and before that, you know, I wasn't in in any one church long enough for a sabbatical to be given, and then also they didn't have it within their DNA anyway. And so I had been in ministry for a very long time before I got my first sabbatical. I wish that wasn't true, but it is true. So one of the things that was life-changing for me was simply the fact that I was just wrecked by what we had been through here in the Transforming Center. We had come through a tremendous financial crisis, which necessitated downsizing and selling our building that we loved. And actually, with our board coming up to the brink of asking the question of whether or not we were even going to survive, and it was really mm. probably one of the most stressful seasons of life that I've ever had in leadership, which is saying a lot. Mm. And then it was layered on top of the fact that I was also during that time caring for my aging parents. And I was the one that was geographically close. I was going with them to all their doctor's appointments. My mom was suffering from MDS, which is the precursor to leukemia and eventually passed away from that. And then my dad was completely adrift after she passed away. And then there was, you know, he just needed care on every single level. Mm. He was still living in his home. And then we've we finally got him to a place that could care for him better. But it was, it was the human stuff layered on with the leadership stuff. 
And so one way it changed my life is that it saved me. I'm, I don't think I could have kept going and without a complete break at that point, a complete opportunity to rest my weary soul in mm. God. So um, <laughs> that's one way is that I think it actually saved me right. from having to let go of life and ministry altogether. Secondly, I'd never had an experience like that of such an extended period of time and rest in God. I have been serving God as a faithful little soldier ever since I graduated from high school. <laughs> really, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid and I went into ministry before I was done with college. And so I'd been ministering faithfully for 40 years and, you know, basing my identity on that as well as just trying really, really hard to have a level of excellence in my life and what I was offering to God. And so I had little bits of rest. I'd had vacations, but vacations are typically spent a lot of with family. And as the mom, I worked really hard on our vacations to make them really special for our family. And so I'd never had a period of time of rest like this. And so it enabled me to go deeper into rest than I'd ever experienced before in my whole entire life. Uh, and that was pretty amazing. It gave me the opportunity to let go of that ministry persona, the part of me that identified myself with all that I do, and to really discover myself as a beloved child with God, even though I wasn't doing anything. And then finally, it also gave me the opportunity to have some extended periods of soul care and soul attention that I think have made me a healthier person overall. One thing I noticed very early in my Sabbath experience was that while I have had therapy and spiritual direction throughout my life in ministry, I would often notice that when I would enter into appointments like that, I would come in rushing in from work, and then I would come right back out and check voicemail and everybody would be waiting outside yep. the door. So whatever I gained in either one of those kinds of appointments would be in some ways lost because I couldn't attend to them right away. So mm-hmm. on sabbatical, I was able to go into some very big topics, both in spiritual direction and in therapy, but I would have time to prepare for those sessions. So I'd really know what I wanted to bring. And then when it was over, I'd have time to really reflect and fully capture what God was saying to me. And those were just life-changing opportunities. There was a sense of spaciousness for attending to my soul. I, I also experienced more pleasure, just pure pleasure um, from being in my life and doing those little things that human beings like to do, like putzing around in your house or in your garden or whatever. More pure pleasure day in and day out than I had ever experienced in a, in a lifetime of ministry. And, and I, I told our board when I got back and I had a beautiful debriefing with them because they gave me the gift and they raised the money for it and gave it to me with such generosity and such open hearts. I, I told them I was happy every single day. I was happy every single day when I was on sabbatical. That is a lot to say, too. It is. And so I was able to acknowledge to them that it was sad, you know, that coming back was hard and a bit sad. And just to be honest and to say uh, it was just the most extraordinary experience of long-term being happy (laughs) than I had ever had in my life. I hope I'm not saying too much, Rick. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Uh, How long was your sabbatical? Three months. Yeah. Both of them were three months. Yeah. And and I will say right here at the outset that I think four months is better. I think four months would have been better. And I'll tell you why. Because if you really do sabbatical well, it takes you a while to get into it. Uh, It could even take you almost a month to really, really let go for the RPMs and your soul to settle down, Mm -hmm. to, to get your new patterns in place, to get rested. Like one of the things that David Alves talks about in his book is the fact that our lives in ministry often will have 
cortisol, you know, the, the stress hormones are always just right. coursing through our bodies and that it's not just a stop. They have to, they have to leave. Like you have to have enough calm for those stress hormones to actually settle down and leave your body. And then also if you're going to do anything that's medical or that has to do with your physical self and well-being, getting those patterns established takes some time. And so it takes time to fully get into it and then you're in it. But then I really suggest that people need to spend time on reentry. And we'll talk about these things in more detail as these episodes unfold. But I would suggest that there's probably, if it's a three-month sabbatical or a four-month sabbatical, you need at least a couple of weeks to start doing reentry. And I didn't know enough about reentry. That was the part I did not do well because I just didn't know enough about it. So you sort of take your sabbatical all the way up to the edge and then you're back to work the next day. I talked to somebody recently who also acknowledged not doing reentry well. She said first time she checked her email, she's just so angry at her coworkers for everything they didn't do that she had told them to do. She said she was yelling at the dog and the, the poor dog's ears went back. And it's because nobody had helped her to think clearly about reentry. And so that makes sense. Yeah. So if you've had a three or four month sabbatical, you need a couple of weeks of reentry. And what I mean by that is capturing your learnings, beginning to ease back somehow. And then if you have, say, a six month to a year sabbatical, and I have heard of those, like Henry Nowen took a whole year, then I think you probably need a month. And he didn't do it well. He didn't do it well. And so I write about that in the book. So I think all of these things are taken into account. So I I would like to see four months be the minimum. And then anything from four months to four to six would be ideal or sometimes even up to a year, depending how long it's been that you've been in ministry and haven't had a break like that. Or, you know, in some cases, depending on if I could say it, how bad off you are, (laughs) you (laughs) might you might identify that it's going to take more, you know, than four to six months. But, you know, if you're in a loving community who really wants you to sustain for the long haul, they'll find a way to work all that out. Oh, that's good. That's really good. You you're as you're talking about the re-entry and how you really need to prepare for that, I just thought about trying to get on a, a treadmill going 15 miles an hour and you know, yes. it's already, you're trying to step on and, mm-hmm. and, and run, not walk or even mm-hmm. jog. And you and, stumble. I mean, see what happens then is if you're, if you don't have a good re-entry, mm-hmm. then you stumble. When I use the word stumble, there's a lot in that word for me. There's the physical, you know, image that you have of somebody stumbling, trying to get on a treadmill that's going too fast. But then there's also, you know, stumbling inside yourself and stumbling with other people and maybe coming back and even being sad or irritated. I've, I've quoted somebody in my book, I can't remember who, who talked about, you know, it's almost traumatic to come back. And you just mm. have to take care of your soul as you come back and make sure that you don't stumble in all the ways that we can, you know, as we reenter. Yeah, that's so good. That's uh, so good. So I'm I'm thinking practically for pastors, and I was just wondering when you when you talk about that, it just sounds so good. What are what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing that pastors have in relation to sabbatical? Because you talk to pastors all the time. Mm-hmm. One, I think, is the, the first one, maybe self-evident, is that it's just not, sabbatical is just not a pattern in their community's life. So mm-hmm. nobody's thought about it. It's not right. written into their policies. The congregation doesn't bring it up. The pastor feels awkward bringing it up, even though they know they need it. They might bring it up to a bunch of hard-nosed businessmen who say, well, I'm not going to get a sabbatical. I've never had a sabbatical. Why should you get a sabbatical? So I think <laughs> there can be there can be real resistance within the community's life it's, if it's not a part of 
what has been a part of their pattern. And I will say here that this is, again, we're talking about Sabbath in community, you know, that it's a part of the Mm -hmm. community's ethos to give sabbatical to their senior leaders. And so that could be one thing is if it's, it's not even a part of your community's pattern or way of life, then you right. as the pastor have to convince everybody and pitch it and get everybody on board. And that might feel very awkward. It might feel like you're asking for more than you should be asking for. It might feel like you might feel vulnerable by expressing need and saying, hey, hey, people, I'm not sure I can go on if I don't get a break. And so it's just hard and awkward if it's not written into the community's life. So that's one significant reason. Another challenge, I think, is that you know, most pastors are really strong type A leader types who do mm. have a lot of their identity all wrapped up in their doing and in their accomplishments and in their achievements. And so not only might it not be something that's embedded in the life of the community, but it might be also something that within themselves feel like feels like failure or weakness or an uncertainty about who will I be if I'm not working. I don't think I could stand that. I love my work. I I, I like to work. I don't want to not work. I don't, you know, that would be very awkward for me, very difficult. I want to keep achieving, you know. So mm-hmm. there's that is a real challenge. That's an inner challenge, I think. And then culturally as well, I don't think our culture does much to support these times of stepping off the treadmill. I know. And so, yeah. And so I think there's also a feeling of isolation then that I'm going to be the only one. I'm going to be my whole, my community's life is going to go on without me. I'm going to feel so lonely. There's feelings of indispensability. We can get ourselves worked into a place where we've convinced ourselves that we're indispensable and that our place of work or ministry can't go on without us. So, I mean, these, those are four big ones that I named That's just huge. right there. Yeah. There are real, real challenges. I don't know about you. Have you had sabbatical, Rick? And what have you encountered as challenges for yourself as a pastor? Mm. Well, okay. So I have had four sabbaticals at a, a congregation in Austin. They gave me four weeks after I'd been there 13 years. And and I requested it because I'd been the youth pastor there for many years and the senior pastor left and I had been preaching a bunch anyway. And then when he left, I was doing a whole lot of the preaching and I really came, became convinced that God was leading me to that. And so mm. the process and they were great. I knew all these people, of course. And then they said, no, uh, we, we would rather you be our youth minister. We need you there. And so that was very disappointing. And so I took four weeks off mm. just because I was hurt and it, mm. it was just some healing. And it turned out that, mm-hmm. that God's will was done, but, but I really didn't put any structure to it. I didn't understand it. It was just, it was just a bit away and rest. The, the second time uh, I got four weeks after five years and I decided that I was going to uh, go to a bunch of different worship assemblies and uh, of, of all different colors and try to experience that. That was my goal. I did that. I went to 13 different worship assemblies. So I really, and I tried to rest in between. And on that, I wrote a sabbatical plan for our elder board. That came out of nowhere. So I really didn't have a good handle on that. And the, the other two after that, um, I, I did have three months, but I was just, that's when I came to transforming community first. I was mm-hmm. and didn't, and I had nothing left. And you know, as, as I've said before, you guys were the last knot on the end of my last rope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I didn't really know how to do sabbatical. I did go to a, a, a therapist during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I 
I didn't know what a spiritual director was, so I wasn't doing that, but started spending time in solitude and just trying to slow down because I had gotten to a place that similar to what you described, I was just, I was at the end of my rope and totally burnt out. And then I, I had a stroke uh, recently. And so this was an, uh, a hell, another health uh, induced sabbatical that came out of nowhere. None, none of us were dreaming of this. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't one that I requested, but I'm treating it as such while I'm on the mend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have those four experiences and I, you know, out of the four, I haven't done any of them well because <laughs> I really didn't know what to do. Because this book didn't exist yet, right? This book didn't That's e- why. <laughs> your timing was just off by a few years. <laughs> That's right. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I have. And so the obstacles that I would see in sabbatical is each church. I haven't been at very many churches. I I, I like to stay a long time if I can, and because I think there's value in that. But I've asked each church since I was a youth pastor to write a sabbatical into my job description. And mm-hmm. uh, each, each of three churches has said, we'll do that when you get here. We, we, we agreed on everything else. We'll do that when you get here. And then we had that difficult conversation that you're talking about mm-hmm. with the elders and they, they tend to view it. They don't understand it. So they tend to view it as vacation. And that was one of the questions yes. I wanted to ask you. So with when you have an elder board and they're not even in a constant rhythm of Sabbath, you know, one thing you can answer now or later is how, how can you help them understand the value of this when, when they're not, and that's not to be demeaning. It's just, they're running like everybody else. They're not doing a Sabbath. Right, And so the expenses uh, are an issue. The convincing your leadership is an issue. The length is an issue because they, you know, you really have to get over that hurdle of them considering that vacation instead of a time that they and the church would benefit from. Yeah. Wow. You're bringing up so much important stuff there. I think somewhere in the book here on page 159 that the Alban Institute has written a book on clergy renewal and talks about the fact that the sabbatical policy, number one, it should already be in place Mm -hmm. and that what you're going to offer someone for their sabbatical needs to be a part of the call and needs to be a part of the employment agreement. And I tell you what you just said, I could not agree more that you don't come in and try to convince them. They already have it. They already have it in their DNA, in their ethos. And that is so important. I just want to get up and stomp my feet right now that it should never be left to an individual pastor to come in and champion this for themselves. Sounds very self-serving. It does. And it puts you in that position. You know, like I mentioned, my husband's a banker, so he's not going to get a sabbatical in his banking life. They don't do that. It's not going to happen. And and you have a lot of people, you know, who are on the elder board who probably won't get a sabbatical if they are in typical secular work environments. And so it also, I think, can bring something up in them, too, to say, well, wait a second, why should I give this person mm-hmm. something that I'm never going to get myself? I'd love to get this much, this, you know, a paid sabbatical. That's exactly what they say. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so in in my mind, this this is something that, that a group of leaders, 
in a church, whether it's a de- at the denominational level, I mean, at some denominations like the Presbyterian Church, for instance, in some denominations, the sabbatical policy is already in there at the denominational level, and rightly so. Or, you know, the churches need to have it in place before it becomes about one person, before one person is having to come right. and ask. And then, then it, they, you know, depending on what happens, they take it personally or the elders don't feel free to do the work and ask the questions they need to ask because there's now a person who's the face on this request. It is just awkward all the way around. So right here from the get go, I want to say that sabbatical is part of being a Sabbath community and that this is something that needs to be codified and put on the books, put in the policies so that no one person is ever the one arguing for this for themselves. Mm. If you have to, if you have to advocate for yourself, you know, I'm sorry, you might have to do that, but maybe it'll serve the next person. But really, it shouldn't be the pastor who's having to bring it. And here in the Transforming Center, when I got my first sabbatical, I was not the one who had to champion it for myself. There were other people who championed it for me. And they took it so seriously because they felt it was part of us practicing what we preach. It was part of me practicing what I preach and that the integrity of our whole organization was in somehow some way reliant on whether or not we could get this into our our sacred rhythms here right. as an organization. So maybe this is the very best place to say right now that ideally the plan for sabbatical, the policy for it, the rationale for it, the biblical theological underpinnings for it, that should be in place as part of the terms of call versus ever having to be brought and negotiated by one individual pastor. And let's just, can you and I just drive a big stake in the ground around that oh, yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't have any idea what kind of percentage of churches in America, evangelical churches would would have a sabbatical plan in place or not it just is my experience is it, it it's a it's an idea that will will kick the can down the road and deal with it then and of course then you know when it finally becomes time it does feel very self-serving so mm-hmm. that you know that's that's probably the biggest challenge that i've encountered um but let me if i can let me let me switch gears a little bit uh from that in, in saying that you say something really interesting about how the sabbatical is an extension of the Sabbath. You, you mentioned that just a minute ago, but I, I was looking at this quote, these longer periods of letting go of human striving while trusting ourselves to God confronts our ego, our grandiosity, which that's a great word. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And our compulsion in ways that shorter periods of time simply don't. Can you can you go into a little bit of a little bit more about the connection between Sabbath and sabbatical? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the major things that I discovered in my first sabbatical, because I didn't I didn't have a lot of guidance either. There were two resources that I could find. The one was from the Alban Institute on clergy renewal, and it was out of print by the time I got a hold of it. My brother actually gave it to me because it was out of print. And then the book by David Alves, who will be a guest coming up, 
a sabbatical primer for pastors. There was just so little available. And so what I realized very early on was that I was going to have to push into this practice of sabbatical and learn some stuff for myself. And one of the things that I discovered, which was so delightful for me, is that the word sabbatical literally means of or pertaining to the Sabbath. Hmm. I mean, that's the very definition of sabbatical. So that means that every single thing that we do on the Sabbath actually applies and is extended in terms of experience when we take a sabbatical. And so that's what I discovered was that everything I knew from having practiced Sabbath for 20 years, I could now apply and extend in my sabbatical and just continue to dig into and push into and press into our Judeo-Christian heritage on this subject of Sabbath and sabbatical. And of course, there's everything that you know, we have talked about, about the Sabbath that gets extended into the sabbatical. But also it was important to realize also that the idea of sabbatical is also rooted in the agricultural culture as well. That Mm -hmm. practice of allowing the land to lie fallow every seventh year. Mm -hmm. And that made so much sense to me, you know, that, you know, here in Illinois, we are an agricultural culture here and my 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 family my on my dad's side were farmers and so this idea was something i was familiar with already from living in an agricultural environment the fact that you can't expect land to just keep producing and producing and producing and producing and it might seem like the dumbest thing in all the world to let a big plot of land just lay there one season rather than growing things for you. You know, like if you're a farmer Mm -hmm. who sells corn or soybeans or whatever, it would seem like the most counterintuitive thing to let that ground lie fallow and do nothing for a whole season. Like it would cut into your, it would potentially cut into your, you know, whatever you make from farming on that land. But there's this longer term perspective. And that is that land can't keep producing if you don't let it rest. Well, it's the same for sabbatical. People cannot keep producing. If you don't let them rest, oh, if you good. don't let them have a season of being fallow, what I call the soil of my soul, allowing the soil of my soul to lie fallow. That's the way I like to look at it. So all the principles that we've already discussed about Sabbath. So the principle of trust. Can I trust that if I've done all that's mine to do in six years, that if I take a sabbatical in the seventh that it will be enough, that in God, what I've done in six years will be enough, and that on the seventh, I could rest. Can I trust God to continue to be at work in the world while I'm doing what God is calling me to do, and that is rest in God's presence? Can I be content with my life as it is, and and be content with some of the simpler things of life versus my drivenness and my achievement and my performance orientation? Can I learn what it is to rest myself deeply in God and to give those closest to me the beauty of my rested self versus Mm. my driven self and my overachieving self. Can I rest my mind and not just my body, but my mind? Can I stop thinking so hard about everything? Can I, can I use sabbatical as a time to drop into deeper and deeper levels of the rest that I've been experiencing in smaller bits during my Sabbath? And so because I knew so deeply the rhythms of Sabbath in my life and what it feels like to practice Sabbath and what are the dynamics, what are the temptations and seductions? Can I take that unplugging for 24 hours and now expand it into three months, you know, or four months? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could have done it without having practiced it in more bite-sized ways. That makes Before so much I entered sense. into the deeper end of the pool, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes just, well, that's the first time I had, I had considered that concept that to, to really be able to do sabbatical, you have to be regularly participating in, in Sabbath, mm-hmm. which was a great concept for me. And that made me think of, you know, you, you 
you went into Sabbath because of your, your bike rack and mm-hmm. over by, by van. And which just, I just can't fathom you were back at. <laughs> you have no words for that, do you? No, <laughs> no. And you got your, your cast or whatever, and you went back to work, which is. I know. <laughs> and so, but it took that event to get you into Sabbath. And it took you coming to a place where you were just completely spent to, to take a sabbatical. And I, I just wonder, I think that is a, I think that's, that's just two data points, but I think it indicates, and it would be true with me, a much bigger trend. And I was wondering why, why do you think pastors tend to take sabbaticals after there's already significant damage done? Why, why mm-hmm. reactive instead of proactive? Hmm. We may never know all the answers to that. Like why we're so bent on killing ourselves in ministry, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just in us somehow. But I do think, and, and maybe it's a little bit more about life in our culture now, because, you know, you know that I'm a pastor's kid. And I think I've said before, you know, in our communities that when my dad was a pastor, life was just so much simpler for pastors. I mean, they preached on Sundays. They, they offered the sacraments, including baptism. They blessed and dedicated or baptized babies, whatever their tradition was. My dad would preach on Sundays and then he would lead a Bible study on Wednesday nights and he would also be present in elder meetings Mm -hmm. and then doing pastoral care. And that's a lot. I mean, if I can just say that's a lot to do that for a congregation regularly and routinely. Uh, And that's what I saw my dad do. Then when I came into ministry myself, it was with the onset of the contemporary model church. And so now, in addition to everything else, the pastor is supposed to be like a CEO, Mm -hmm. um, strategic in the way that they think. They're supposed to have something like a business mind and be able to look at money and finances and all that. They are expected to be experts in production and programming. Mm -hmm. They're expected to be effective communicators in small groups and intimate one-on-one situations while also being extraordinary public speakers. They're supposed to know things about human resources resources. And I mean, it just never ends. The complexity of the pastoral life now, you know, they're supposed to be contemporary and relevant and be up on all the news. And, you know, so what I what I think has happened now is that with, you know, in, in many cases with the onset of the mega churches and all that, then there's also been our magazines and things where they highlight the churches that are growing mm-hmm. and There's something that's happened within print media and social media that highlights all the churches who are doing really, really successful things. And so it's easier to compare yourself to what this pastor is doing or what that pastor is doing. And we make a much bigger deal about numbers than when my dad was pastoring, because I don't remember it ever being about numbers when my dad was pastoring. Mm -hmm. When my dad was pastoring, it was about faithfulness. It was about being faithful to this little congregation. I think it was 150 people. And he was never thinking in terms of growing my church to a thousand people or whatever. But now that's what's being highlighted. That's how you get into a Christian magazine Yes, is by growing your church from 150 to 5,000. And so now can we interview you? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So the, the whole world of pastoring has changed. And so I think it's even easier now to have one's whole identity wrapped up in those kinds of external measurements of success. And I see it driving people, driving people in a way I never saw back when I was a young girl being raised in a very simple, in a, in a pastor's home, in a very simple church. And the pastoral role was in many ways very simple, not easy, but it was simple in terms of what was expected. Right. And so I think today 
it, it it's just as easy to be driven and ambitious and ego driven in the church as it is about dry, you know building a business. And now people have just taken that hard driving success oriented mentality into the church. And now because you can add spirituality on top of it, then wow, you got it all going on right there. And so you just want to keep tr- working at that being successful. It is hard to step away from that if that's how you're identifying yourself and proving yourself to yourself and to the world. Oh, well, that is just so true. Amen to all of that. You know, the benefits to the pastor are become more and more clear, and, and especially you've helped us understand that. What would you say would be the some of the benefits to the church itself mm-hmm. being allowed yeah. a season of sabbatical? Well, again, Pastor David Alves, who is, I relied on his work quite a bit in this work on sabbatical. He says that churches grow and thrive under long-term pastorates. And sabbatical goes a long way in ensuring a pastor's ability to stay and minister within a long-term commitment to one congregation. I just think that that should be selling it right there, Mm -hmm. that churches grow and thrive under long-term pastorates. And I would even go so far as to say this is an insurance policy. (laughs) You know, we we take out insurance policies on our automobiles for the church, our buses and our the land itself and blah, blah, blah. Could we take out some insurance on the pastor by giving the pastor sabbatical? and also removing stressors to make it more possible. And so, you know, setting aside funds for travel and retreat expenses and spiritual direction and psychological counseling and a nutritionist and, you know, people like that just provide funds because then I think the leader is more apt to build in things into their sabbatical experience and they will come back stronger and healthier and able to continue to minister for the long term. And man, I just think it's a small price to pay, whatever that is. I think it's a small price to pay to ensure the long-term commitment and the long-term health and well-being of one of your ministry's greatest assets. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, coming off of that statement, this book, I've, I've, I've been really clear about how good it is for pastors, but uh, I would say for, it's just as important because of that for leadership who uh, elder boards or however your church is governed to to read this book and understand the benefits that your church can have the awards because we are shooting for the long game not just that's right absolutely hello producer colleen here Before we get to the end of the episode with Rick and Ruth's final soul questions, I wanted to let you know about a new resource that we have that will accompany Ruth's newest book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest. We have a Sabbath journal for all those things that your soul wants to say to God. It's meant to accompany you as you begin to explore this practice of Sabbath. First and foremost, it's a journal. There's lots of space for writing, but sprinkled throughout are thoughts and quotes about Sabbath, things to inspire you and your soul as you practice Sabbath. We hope that this last season has inspired you to try new ways to deepen your Sabbath practices or start new ones. And we think that the Sabbath journal is a great resource to help you do just that. Because we're so excited about this new resource, we will be giving away two copies to two of our patrons. In order to be eligible, you just need to be a patron. 
we'll be drawing two random winners from our group at the end of January. So if you're not a patron right now and you would like to be, you can head over to patreon.com slash transforming center. Anyone who is a patron of ours at the end of January will be entered to win one of these two copies. We are really proud of the content that we've been delivering to patrons over on Patreon. It is a place for practices, for extra bonus conversations, and for deeper connection to the things that we're talking about on the main podcast. We would love for you to join our community. It is a great group of people and you can join anytime this month and you will be eligible to win one of these two copies of the Sabbath journal. So again, head over to patreon.com slash transforming center. And now here is the final part of Ruth's conversation with Rick McCall. Well, Rick, it's been so good to talk to you about these things as as we want as we want to do in all of our episodes and have been doing in our episodes. I want to ask you, what has stirred in you? What are you sensing that your soul wants to say to God as we conclude this conversation? What's what's bubbling up in your soul that you'd like to say to God as we conclude? Mm. Well, for me at this moment, I've I've got. Uh, a couple of two or three weeks left mm. before I reenter. And so this has really helped frame what those two or three weeks look like. And, and I really want to be set up for the long term uh, mm-hmm. for the long haul from, from now until I take my last breath, because I think I, my, my health wise, I've gone through burnout and I've had a stroke in the last eight years. And so health wise, I think that that is not a sustainable way to live life. Um, and so, uh, I, I want to establish that. And so this has given me so much good structure and understanding around that without it being constricting. So I, I just want to say, uh, my soul cries out to God, please do in me the things that I can't do. Mm-hmm. How about you, Ruth? What do you think? I'm not thinking. I'm listening (laughs) for what my soul wants to say to God in this moment. And we are also encouraging our listeners to be listening to their own souls and what their own souls need to say Mm -hmm. to God. And for me, I think I am feeling extremely prayerful for leadership groups who have the ability to give sabbaticals to their leaders as a part of their their plan for long-term sustainability and for ongoing effective ministry. And so my own longing really is to see more and more leadership groups really digging down into this conversation and that God would somehow prevent them from, you know, rising up in resistance and saying, well, wait a second, I don't get one, so why should you get one? Mm -hmm. But that rather there would be a generous spirit and a spirit of shepherding love for those who lead among them and that whatever could be given would be given to the shepherds of the flock so that they can shepherd for the long term. So I, I've, I feel a lot stirring within me for leadership groups right now that they would go way down deep into this topic and see what God has to say to them mm-hmm. in their settings. Mm-hmm. And now, friends, for those of you who are listening, I would also encourage you to stop for a moment. Don't just go on to the next thing in your life, but actually... Go down deep into your own soul 
and listen. What does your soul want to say to God right now? If you are a pastor yourself, what would it take for you to see sabbatical as an important extension of your practice of Sabbath? What would it take for you to move into a sabbatical phase if you haven't had that in the last number of years? And if any of you who are listening are leaders in churches or Christian ministry organizations, what is God saying to you about the sustainability of your leader? And what are you willing to give? What are you willing to offer up? How are you willing to attend to this possibility of a long-term leader being able to stay with you long-term because they have received what they've needed in terms of rest, replenishment, and sabbatical. May the Lord help us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.